Open your Bible, please. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Last week, we saw that God is working even when we don't see it. And tonight, we're going to see in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, God's free, gracious forgiveness. So would you read with me as I read aloud, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have evidence to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman, where she was, in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I did not condemn you either. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Lord Jesus, this is about you. These are your words. We're dependent on you to open our ears and open our eyes so that we might see them plainly. So we ask you, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. For your glory and for our good. Amen. In verses 1 through 6 of chapter 8 here, we see a setup. This is a setup. Back up in chapter 7, at the very end of chapter 7, you remember the Pharisees had a big angry outburst? They're angry because the temple police didn't arrest Jesus and bring him to them. And then they're angry because Nicodemus, who was one of them, warns them. Now you're so zealous to make sure that every jot and tittle of the law is kept. Make sure that you don't break the law in order to keep the law. And so they chewed him out. And then it says in verse 53 of chapter 7, everyone went to his home. There's nothing we can do. They didn't bring him. And then you're reminding us of things we don't need to be reminded of. I guess there's nothing to do but go home now. Everyone went to his home. But chapter 8 verse 1 says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives... It's a north-south ridge 
that's just east of Jerusalem. Between the Mount of Olives and the walls of Jerusalem, the eastern walls of Jerusalem, is the Valley of Kidron. The Mount of Olives is where we're told in John chapter 18 when we get there that this is where Jesus often met with his disciples. We're also told in chapter 18 that after the Lord's Supper, they crossed the Kidron Valley and they went to a garden on the other side of the valley, which apparently was on the Mount of Olives. That would be Gethsemane. And then we're told in the book of Acts that the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives. So this is that place just east of Jerusalem. And we're told that early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and began to teach them. I love this. Remember, he's in the temple. This is the priest territory. This is where his enemies are in control. And he goes straight to the temple in their face and begins to teach again. Now another reason for going to the temple, not just to confront his enemies and to provoke them, because from this point on out, Jesus is going to keep pushing them and pushing them and pushing them. He's not going to let them off the hook. They're going to try to find any way they can to accuse him of a capital crime, of blasphemy. And he's just going to keep pushing them to make them do it, to make them do it, to make them do it. Until finally he's pushed them to the point that they're willing to come at night as a lynch party and drag him off and try him at night which is illegal and then finally turn him over to the Gentiles to be crucified which is everything he keeps telling his disciples in the synoptics must happen he keeps telling them over and over this is what's going to happen and he's making sure that it happens but it's not just to provoke the priest that he's in the temple the temple is where the people can find him easiest. So he goes to the temple. And that's where the people find him. And the crowds come to him. And he sits down and he begins to teach. Wouldn't you like to know what he was teaching that day? Hmm. And as he's teaching, look at verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees come pushing their way through the crowd. And they brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, then they asked Jesus a question. But they come pushing through the crowd. They break their way through the crowd. And then they break into Jesus' teaching. And they set this woman that has been caught in adultery. They set her right in the middle of the court. So you've got Jesus sitting here. You've got all these people standing around listening to him. And right in the middle... That's the woman, and that's all these scribes and Pharisees. Now the scribes. The scribes were, the I'll put it like this, the Bible experts of that day. They were the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament. They were the Old Testament experts. They were the scholars. Most of them were Pharisees. So the scribes are there because they're the ones, if anybody's going to be able to hook Jesus, it's going to be the scribes. So you've got the scholars and you've got the most pious, the most punctilious, I can't even say the word, 
Well, let's just say the most dedicated to keeping the law of God crowd. You've got the religious leaders right there. And they have this woman who is caught in adultery. And we're told in verse 4 that she was caught in the very act. And they say to him, teacher. Notice that, teacher. Not Jesus. Not rabbi. Teacher. Well, that would be rabbi. But teacher. This woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law. Moses commanded us and everybody knows that the law of God came from Moses and you need to obey Moses. Moses commanded us to stall such women. What then do you say? I mean this is a clear setup. Verse 6 says they were saying this testing him because they were hoping to have something to accuse him of. Because if Jesus says Show mercy. Be gracious. Then they can accuse him of contradicting God's word. Contradicting Moses' law. God's law. And then he'll lose credibility with the people. If he says, stone her. Then they can accuse him to Pilate. Say, you know, you Romans rule here. And you Romans are the only ones that have the right and the authority for capital punishment here. And that's the way it was throughout the Roman Empire. The Romans reserved for themselves the power of capital punishment. No one could be executed unless they said that he or she could be executed. Well, if he said stoner, then they could go to Pilate and say, you need to do something about him. He's contradicting the Roman law. And he's inciting the people to rebellion to do things that are contrary to the Roman law. Hmm. So they think they have him on the horns of a dilemma. But look at the second half of verse 6. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. He seems to ignore him. It's almost as if he didn't even hear what they said. Verse 7 says, But when they persisted in asking him, What do you say? Don't you hear us? What teacher? Here's all these people here listening to you and you're teaching them and you're claiming to be the Son of God and you're claiming to be the Messiah and all these other things. Now, Jesus, teacher, what do you say about this? When they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Let him who is without sin among you. Does he mean, let him who is utterly sinless be the first to throw a stone at her? Hmm. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If that's what he's saying, then that means that in order to judge according to the word of God, you have to be absolutely sinless. That if God's people are going to understand the Word of God and live by discipline in the Word of God, 
Whoever declares that discipline has to be absolutely sinless. In other words, the judges in the church have to be absolutely sinless. But nobody is absolutely sinless, and the Lord Jesus himself has told us to exercise judgment or discipline within the church. So it can't be that he's saying, he who is absolutely sinless among you, he who has committed no sins among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at him. No, what he's saying here is, he who is without this sin, what you're accusing her of, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Whoever among you has never had an indiscreet moment with his neighbor's wife, an indiscreet session with his neighbor's wife or with his neighbor's daughter or with that pretty little maid that works in your house or with that pretty little maid that works in your neighbor's house hmm. well, we can put it today let him who has never been unfaithful to his wife with that beautiful receptionist down at the office who keeps giving you the eye and giving you the come on let him who has been utterly faithful to his wife be the first to throw a stone at her. And then look at verse 8. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And again, wouldn't you love to know what he wrote? We don't know what he wrote. But there's a good possibility what he was writing was names. Maybe the names of the men standing there, the oldest men, he's writing their names on the ground. Or maybe it's women's names. Mary, Ruth, Jane, Beth. Notice what it says in verse 9. And when they heard it, that is, let him who was without this sin be the first to throw a stone at her and probably looked down and saw what he was writing on the ground. I mean, if he's writing something on the ground, you've got to look and see what it is he's writing, right? They began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. The ones who would be more cool-headed in this lynch mob. And he was left alone. So they're all standing there. What do you say? What do you say? And he's writing Ruth, Sarah, Jenny. And the older ones look down and they go, Jenny. So he just slips out the back. And the next Ruth, he slips out the back. Mary, he slips out the back. Their consciousness, their consciences convicting them that they're guilty of being unfaithful to their wives so how can they accuse this woman hmm. and finally Jesus it says right here was left alone with the woman I wonder if he's still writing when, they, when the last one's left puts the last name down there and the last guy leaves but he's left alone down, stooped down writing with the woman and 
even though it's not said here, remember there's a crowd there. They've heard and seen everything that's been going on. They saw these rascals try to set Jesus up. They saw them so full of vinegar and ready to stone this woman. They were not going to stone this woman. They couldn't stone her. Not legally. The Romans would have had their heads if they had done that. They were just using her. It was a setup. And they saw them all walk off one at a time. They heard what Jesus said to them. And then Jesus stands up, says he straightened up. Verse 10, we begin to run into free, sovereign forgiveness. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, who are they? I love that. I, that's, I don't know if, if that's a satire or sarcasm or, whatever, or irony or whatever it is. I like it. You know, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? In Deuteronomy, in the law, in chapter 17 and also in chapter 19, God makes it very plain that no one can be tried for the death penalty and put to death on the testimony of one witness. That it requires two and maybe three witnesses for somebody to be convicted of a capital crime. And there was a nice big crowd of witnesses there. They caught her in the very act. But you can't execute somebody unless you have the testimony of two or three witnesses. And Jesus stands up and says, where's these people that wanted to kill you? Where's your witnesses that were accusing you? Is there no one here to condemn you? To put you to death? To testify against you before the law court? And she says, no one more. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you. Go, from now on, sin no more. The Lord forgives her, forgives her her sin, and sends her away just like that. But wait a minute. She's guilty. And she's not asked for forgiveness. And she's not confessed her sin. And she's not prayed a sinner's prayer. And neither did Paul on the road to Damascus when the Lord forgave him his sins. The Lord Jesus Christ forgave her out of his own free, sovereign grace. The same way he forgave you. And the same way he forgave me. He forgives freely. He has the right to forgive whoever he chooses to forgive. He has the right to, as a sovereign creator, over sinful men. And by the way, that's the only kind of men there are. He has the right to freely forgive as sovereign creator of sinful men. In chapter 1, verse 3, here in John, we're told that all things came into being through him, and without, without him, nothing came into being that has come into being. No way of saying that is all things were created through him, or without him, nothing was created that has been created. He created everything. 
Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. All things were created through him and for him. And since he made us, Romans chapter 9 verse 21 says that the potter has the right to do with the pot whatever he wishes because he made it. He has the right to forgive whoever he chooses regardless of their sins against him because he owns us as his creation and he has the right to do with us. We heard this morning from Pastor Eric that all of us are guilty. All of us are, are guilty of sin. We're all condemned by sin. And yet he has the right as our creator to do with us as he wishes. He can justly send us into everlasting punishment because of our sins, which we deserve. Or if it pleases him, he can graciously forgive our sins. He has the right to forgive whoever he chooses because he owns us as his creatures. He has the right as our sin bearer to freely forgive our sins. He's the one who satisfied God's holy justice. The justice that required that the sins we have committed be punished. Sin deserves wrath. Sin must be punished. And a sin against an infinitely holy God requires an infinite punishment. That is an everlasting hell. He took the punishment for our sins on himself. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He suffered our hell for us in our place. He fully satisfied God's justice that sin be punished. Isaiah 53 5 and 6. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid on him the wrath for the iniquity of us all. And since he himself paid for our forgiveness now get this the Lord Jesus Christ freely graciously forgives sinners because forgiveness is his to give he owns it he owns us and he owns the right to forgive in Luke chapter 7 there's a, a story that Jesus gives of a creditor a money lender and he had two debtors that one of them owed him 50 denarii the other one owed him 500 denarii a denarius was the pay for one day's wage but neither one of them were able to pay and Jesus says in Luke chapter 7 so the money lender freely forgave them both you say but wait a minute they owed him money it's his money that they owe. It's his money. He has the right to forgive the debt of his money. 
Our sins are against him. He has paid the full penalty for our sins. He now owns the right to forgive sins for whoever he chooses. To freely forgive sins of whoever he chooses. We saw this, uh, heard this again this morning. In Romans chapter 9 verse 15, God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It's his to give or his to withhold. And the Lord Jesus Christ has the right to either give forgiveness or withhold forgiveness. It is his to give. The Lord Jesus Christ forgives freely for he is the God of all grace. We're told in chapter 1 verse 17 of John that the law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you know what grace is. Grace is a gift that you haven't earned. It's a gift you don't deserve. It's a gift you have no right to. But it's given to you. It's freely given to you. That's great. No one deserves to have their sins forgiven. No one has the right to have their sins forgiven. And the Lord Jesus Christ chooses to forgive sins to whom he will by sovereign free grace. You don't deserve it. You have no right to it. And yet, out of his own goodness, he gives it. It's his gift of unimaginable value. It's for sinners who don't deserve it. She was guilty. She had committed adultery. We are guilty. And yet he is pleased to sovereignly, freely forgive our sins. But a gift of unimaginable value must not be despised. Look what he says down here, verse 11. I do not condemn you either. Freely I give you forgiveness. Because it's mine to forgive. But go... And from now on, sin no more. Sin no more. Surely it means have nothing to do with sin from now on. But especially with this sin for which you were dragged in here. Be done with adultery. Think about this. She has, she is guilty he has freely forgiven her out of his own sovereign right to forgive. She might be tempted to think, well, if I do it again, he'll forgive me again. But what he's saying is, don't despise the gift I've given you. Go and <coughs> sin no more. Finally, forgiveness doesn't cancel out the consequences of our sins. Earthly consequences of our sins. 
This woman's reputation is ruined. Whatever reputation she had in town is gone now. She's been publicly humiliated. Everybody, I mean, Jerusalem's probably like Hamlet. It's going to be in everybody's ear before the evening's done. What this woman has done. What's she going to say to her husband? She's probably staring a divorce in the face. Consequences of her sin aren't canceled out by forgiveness. Earthly consequences of her sins aren't necessarily canceled out by Christ's forgiveness. Look at David. David saw Bathsheba. David lusted after Bathsheba. David took Bathsheba. I mean, he's the king. He's a good-looking rascal. And he's a king. And he says, come spend the night with me. What's she going to say? She gets pregnant because of their indiscretion. And to make sure that he gets away with it, he has her husband killed when her husband won't come into her from the field. And then David marries her. He's committed adultery and he's committed murder to try to cover up the adultery. And when Nathan confronts him and says, you are the man who's done this, David repents. He, judgment day, honestly repents. And Nathan says, your sin is forgiven. But the baby's going to die. And from now on, the sword is not going to depart from your house. See, there were consequences to David's sin. But he's been forgiven. There are consequences. But let's don't forget he's been forgiven. Freely forgiven by a holy God. Freely forgiven because he has the right to forgive. Freely forgiven because the price for David's sin would be paid in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has been forgiven of his sins. He's been reconciled to God by the grace of God. And in the case of us on this side of the cross, those of us who've had our sins forgiven have been adopted by God. We're going to spend forever with him. We are going to be conformed into the image of the perfect humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are going to be with him forever. Yes, there are earthly consequences. But we have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Will you stand with me, please? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Oh.